0: there's an ever this energy equation energy time space matter equation is always constantly moving and in flux um but when we can create systems like bitcoin to understand the actual relation the relationships of how they work beyond this sort of positional math that we try to impose over them um we can really look at the frequencies between them and the polarities between them um we'll be able to uh to better to better uh sail across the um the well i guess the uh the, the space, space between space all right today on sacred economics we're going to talk about sort of uh kind of a departure from all of the other topics so far this this uh program in that uh it's not necessarily directly about Bitcoin uh, in its place economically or historically, but kind of more about, uh, you know, learning from history and <clears throat> how we can look at the the creation of, you know, a lot of the, the concepts that we explore in talking about Bitcoin, um, like governance and, uh, you know, representation and, uh, you know, what what gives something sort of naturally the, the right of authority in a in a system, right? Um, so we're going to be taking a look at kind of the, the creation of America, and um, we're at a really interesting place as we've you know discussed the last you know four weeks or so <clears throat> in our country's uh, history. Um, you know, one of the, the fundamental things, um, you know, there's that 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 ism of, uh, you know, uh, death and taxes. And, you know, we just found out they just delayed tax day again, for two years in a row now, um, which is just completely unexpected, and uh, really telling of, of where we are. Um, if you look at the history of the United States, um, to to not, you know, be focused on income coming in from its constituents is uh, extremely telling about, the state of the U.S. dollar and the state of the Treasury and the and the Federal Reserve, um, but I want to kind of get back to those, you know, the forefathers and and sort of this this talk about taxes and <clears throat> you know uh, how did we get to this place that we got to, um, and 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 and, and both in both positive ways and, and negative ways, right? There's a lot of things about the American government's. Uh, model that is uh, incredible and is, is really new and exciting and uh, there's a lot of it that's um, really uh, immature and has a lot of uh, loss and points of failure if you're going to kind of look at it if you're going to grade it on, in kind of an engineering way and in, in almost as if it was an electrical circuit uh, there's a lot of issues uh, and points of failure within, within our system but um but it's still really good, and uh, it was certainly better than um, a lot of things that were going on at the time. And it was a direct reaction, in fact, to authority gone rye. Uh, you know, and the the uh, on the authoritative spectrum. You know, on one end, kind of being tyranny and fascism, or whatever. Um, not that that word means much anymore. But you know, tyranny. We'll use tyranny. Uh, you know, it was a direct reaction to you know religious. Uh, you know, imposition and an and idea in, in uh, uh, censorship um, from a group of, of uh, people born into this, you know, the ruling class was born into their uh, their position. It wasn't something that was sort of naturally, uh demarcated by anything no no order of law was was saying such other than you know the sort of established social rule that you know this monarchy or this aristocrat was to remain such um by you know by just simply being born into that place so the the american ideal and the colonization of america from you know from england and um and then obviously you know the rebellion and and um you know the creation of the American government, but all the way through it, it's coming from this place of, uh, you know, of human exploration, um, both across the sea and then you know from the east coast to the west coast, and 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 you know sort of this, uh, you know, uh, a lot of a lot of trial and error and a lot of experiment, and I think that when you look at the history of the establishment of the United States governance, um, I mean, quite literally. Uh, the Declaration of Independence was was written to be sort of considered an experiment, um, in the Federalist Papers as well. I mean, these were written humbly, um, uh, knowing that there would be <clears throat> changes to them, and, and written in to their governance. You know, these are the things that you know. The, these are the uh, the rhetoric for change, for for self-amending, um, and then what things can't be you know and, and super majorities and all this so so yeah let, let, let's kind of get into this um, you know what does it mean for all men to be created equal? all men are created equal like, what does that mean? Um, <clears throat> obviously men you know at this point we've all established that it refers to you know humans which is great um, uh, but it's uh, really equality is is the is the question you know uh, the, the the word that needs to be defined. And it's, it's really hard to define what equality is, but it's really easy to define what inequality is. And that's a reality, I think, of learning about, um, you know, about how the natural order and the boom-bust cycle of nature is that it's more obvious to figure out what doesn't work than what does. Um, <clears throat> The only way to find out if this berry is going to kill you for eating it is try and ever and eating it, and then you learn that this isn't poisonous. Or, um, there's sort of a natural law to that, you know. Learning what kills you and learning what you know makes life prosper. Uh, you more often than not, you're learning what doesn't work rather than really what learning what does. Um, and equality is much the same way. <clears throat> um, equality has has always uh, been a moving target. Um, it's on a spectrum like anything else, you know, on this, one of the principles of, you know, of, uh, polarity is sort of this idea that there isn't really a, 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 break between when, you know, on the, on the temperature spectrum, there isn't really a, a defined moment when hot becomes cold or cold becomes hot. There's just this continuing spectrum, right? Um, quality is the same way. It's this moving target that's been moving and uh, so when looking at it, it's, you have to say that human beings by nature uh, have no authority over others and what they can do. There's nothing about a human being born in any way that gives it authority over another human. Um, and that seems, you know, maybe you could, you could say, okay, well, what about strength or height or, you know, ability or creativity or... And of course that there's, there's variance in, in uh, you know, the way people are and the way people are, were created. Um, there's, there's always variance through nature. Um, it's exceptionally rare to have, um, you know, really perfect symmetry across, um, you know, any, any, any sort of evolved life. It's just, that's kind of naturally a thing that, as a protection mechanism, to continue it, that there's you know a degree of mutation and a variance in a positive way. Um, of course, you know there's similar ratios, and you know <clears throat> we all have you know very similar you know on average two legs and and two arms and and all that. Or I guess on average slightly under two arms. Um, but but the, this idea of equality, the definition. Um, right now we are in uh, an age of information, and we are in an age of 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 uh, on that spectrum of what is or isn't is this moving target of all, what all of these words mean and we're having a real, on both sides um, of the sort of, the duopoly of the political spectrum looking at it, you know, both sides I think are having a battle of redefinition and equality is one of the ones that gets talked about the most um, for good reason, because it's not that we are uh, you know, finding a, more about what we know equality is, but we're seeing great, great, great examples of mass inequality. And we're seeing that. And we can, uh, from both sides, can can see that happening. And again, it just leads into that theory of, okay, well, we learn a lot more about what doesn't work than what does. So we're at one of the most peaceful times um, and, and, and the, an age of prosperity that we've ever seen historically. I mean, we get so bombarded with negativity and, you know, these terrible uh, truths of our reality constantly, but we really are at, at one of the, the, the most peaceful, um, artistically focused, um, you know, creative, innovative. I mean, what, 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 what the microchip has done to society uh, and to humanity is uh, can't really be overstated. I mean, I, 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 my, and then, you know, of course, when you bring into the network effects of it, which of course, something like Bitcoin is, you know, it's just the shining example, um, the, the internet and, and Bitcoin, um, you know, you begin to see, you know, fundamental changes to uh, the, 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 these laws of nature. Um, if you remove the bees' ability to communicate with each other, um, you know through pheromones and and this this sort of hive mentality of bees, you know wouldn't wouldn't be possible. It wouldn't exist. They would be a different species because they would act differently. They would do they would do different things. They would. Um, you know, they just wouldn't operate in the same way. They wouldn't be able to because they wouldn't have the infrastructure and the latency of communication to express ideas in that fast of a way to be the to act in the same way that they act. Um, you know, as we observe them now. Um, you know, with that loss of latency and that loss of of you know that network that they have, <clears throat> they would have they would be forced to find food differently, and you know their demarcation of jobs and of labor. Um, you know, you see it in And, you know, all across the the sort of insect kingdom, Um, you know, those things wouldn't be as easy to... There wouldn't be a natural order to their law um, within their communities and their ecosystems internally um, to tell people what to do. And so they would all have to operate differently. And, you know, you would see kind of more the way bigger creatures operate, you know, um, mammals and um, kind of like more, you know, of course, societal, but but more... uh, you know, take a big cat, for example, or something kind of more, uh, you know, lonely predators and, um, you know, smaller groups, you know, under, you know, under 10 versus, you know, in the hundreds and thousands in a colony of insects, right? Um, so this idea of political equality is sort of the idea that um, we have to run with because this idea of a natural equality is uh, there are just things about the natural world that we don't have governance control over, right? That's a huge part of the developing a governance system. So, well, what are the things you actually have control, even if you wanted to have control over? And the natural world, you know, maybe arguably we get more and more control of it as we learn more about sciences. But you know, at the end of the day, if a big rock wants to come and smash into, you know, our celestial body because. It's just that time. Then so be it. You know, there's not, there's not. We can't, we can't vote that away from happening. But we can um, establish political rules and political uh, rhetoric. Um, and if equal under the rule of law, hopefully, that will allow you to have the equal capacity to sort of forge your own life. Um, and the thing that gets confused in this in this conversation of equality now and of equity now is that it's the opportunity versus the outcome, because the opportunity is what needs to be equal. The outcome can't possibly be equal if the opportunity is equal. Um, and and then of course this sort of uh, the idea of you know the outcome being determined by. Or equality being determined by you know an equity of possession versus an equity of dignity, and of uh, you know a, a, a political fairness and a social fairness. So we're in this this, this strange redefinition where we're having a, a cultural battle over what, um, as as a system is failing, as we're seeing an economic, you know imperial system, um, you know at least looking very bad. Um, with the U S and the U S dollar and, you know, it, with, with destruction comes opportunity. Um, and that's something where I think really, we, we shouldn't look at Bitcoin so much as an invention as we should look at it as, as a destruction. Um, you know, there's the Herman Hess quote in Damien where, you know, the, in order for the chick to be born, he must break his egg. He must destroy his whole world to be born, um, that's sort of what Bitcoin is doing, as we've talked about. You know, what we said, sort of the mathematics of why, but by breaking this this mold of consumption and turning into this vacuum of conservation, which is what Bitcoin is versus the fiat world. You know, if I can be so reductive, um, we're in uh, we're we're entering a new a new phase uh, of evolution where our energy, is, our energy equation and our energy game is, um, has been flipped up on its head. And so we have the ability, ability now, um, especially as the um, early proponents into this new system and the people that have made stake in this deflationary world, um, it's up to us to establish, much like our forefathers established in America, you know, this, this very brand spanking, you know, r- learning from the past and taking from, you know, you know Roman and Grecian and, you know, other. there's certainly America didn't invent the idea of representational democracy, but it, in, in, in many ways, it, 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 it certainly brought it into, um, you know, a modern world. Um, but how do we learn from the past? And how do we learn from what we did when we established you know, these, the, these Bill of Rights and these, these very important social contracts that have dictated, um, you know, kind of the global uh, board, um, you know, since America, you know, won its independence, or really, I should say, since it declared its independence. Um, obviously, there was a fight, but the declaration was the importance. It was, this, was, this is the new way. We reject your constructs and we reject, we reject this tyranny And we believe in a new, in a new way. And there was plenty of inf. It wasn't just the British that didn't like it. There was plenty of infighting within, you know, even the even the 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 revolutionaries. And and that's what we're going to kind of get into here. And 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 there's that absolute parallel um, to what we saw in the uh, in the block size debate. You know, we we can learn from our history, and I think we have to. And I I've always thought it was kind of funny that you know, the Virginia plan was the big blocks, and here we got Roger Ver, Virginia is, is the big block um, part of the, the debate. But the debate was necessary in a lot of ways. You could say that it didn't need to go the way that it did, and I would probably agree. But the ideas of having the conversation about the establishment of a new rule is is exceptionally important. and And that's that's where we kind of bring into kind of one of the main philosophers that influenced the American Revolution, thought revolution, not not the military strategy, but the thought behind it, uh, and that was John Locke. Um, and you know, kind of one of the main points of his, you know, famous piece, the um, the two treatises of government, um, had this this kind of concept that you need to establish a starting point from which you can move via consent to the creation of legitimate governance. So so how does that legitimate authority come to exist? How, how can we have a starting point um, to begin to learn what we don't like about it? Because again, that's what we're learning here. Uh, governments is, is by default almost always too much. And so we have to continually do experiment with it and make something that it can be amended that, um, but also things that if the will of the people don't want it to be amended, there are things that, you know, a small, a small group of people can't come in and just start screwing up everything for everybody. So, so where do you establish the starting point? Um, where does legitimate authority come to? And it, it, it comes to this paradoxical yin and yang, which is the crux of why government is so hard to get right Um, because it's uh, the, the fundamental freedom, uh, is equal among all humans in a state of nature. There's just a fundamental freedom for us to be able to go walk around and do things and do whatever we want. And then there's also the fundamental equality that lies in the fact that we are free. So we have these two definitions of what it is to, you know, what... What is what is equality, right? In the, in, this, in this in the in the second book, um, John Locke kind of writes this about the state of nature, and you know it illuminates sort of liberty and equality as being kind of the two pillars of it. Um, as someone who you know he grew up in the sort of higher Ar- Aristotle, you know, or a- aristocratic kind of you know monarchy hierarchy with with basically no opportunity for social mobility, right? So these kind of pre-existing limitations. Of the aristocratic societies, prevented kind of social movement um, and prevented, you know, human initiative and creativity and innovation. Um, you know that could potentially, you could argue, are more prevalent in egalitarian societies. So there's that yin and yang of defining this paradox of, of how you define equality um, or what you're looking for in the state of nature. This liberty and equality. Uh, you know conundrum so we have we have freedom and equality and so freedom is that everyone is equal to go do whatever they want to do and then equality is you know lies in the fact that you're free so this strange yin and yang is is the sort of back and forth on the polarity you know on the spectrum that we we kind of we we vibrate back and forth on um, Upon, in order to continually define what it is that we don't like about what we're doing, so governance is really hard, and 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 social constructs are really hard to to break. Um, ideas and 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 social constructs are no different than um, things in, in 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 the material world in the sense that they still operate, um, you know, in the, the the with the laws of physics. I mean, things at rest don't don't wanna move, they, they tend to stay at rest. It's harder to get something that's at rest to move. The more entrenched a social construct is, the harder it is to break. Um, and then of course the reverse of this is true is in moments of you know, turbulence and of volatility, it's much easier to break down these social constructs um, and these social ideas because they're already moving so fast that they're already you know objects in motion. Therefore, what we need to do now and what's really important for us to do now is to figure out where to land and where to focus this volatility. And so you can see where, you know, everything we've talked about, we're exploding out of this petrodollar, um, you know, into fiat, you know, debacle, that's this debt bubble that's just, you know, it, it's coming to its, its time to, to, to explode. And where's this bubble that's inflated so much going to pop and flow into, it's gonna flow into this energy vacuum, this, this Bitcoin vacuum. So we have this moment, this perfect moment of volatility, of extreme social volatility um, to make these decisions that are going to affect, you know, the the social order for the next however many generations until the next thought revolution happens and the next redefinition of of what it is to be free and equal, you know, means. And that's always gonna happen, um, as it always should. Um, because that's the nature of, of evolution and of life, and that's what kind of makes us special, is that we continue and we forge on, and we must do that now. But ironically, the way that you do that, <laughs> the best way to equip yourself for, the, for evolution and to move forward is to go backwards and look back, because history repeats itself. Um, it, it, it rhymes, and it echoes, and all these isms that people say and and sometimes in really funny and cute ways, and sometimes in really disturbing and dark ways. But but regardless, you know, the truth of, of what it is that we're evolving from is always present in our history. So therefore, the proof of, you know, the, or the, 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 uh, permonitions of where we're going are also in our, are in our past, um, and where we're evolving to. Because these are the moments that, that generate these physical spaces and these volatility for social movement. So, I wanted to talk a little bit about kind of the creation of America, and 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 how we got there. And you know, we all know the story of you know, the the British Parliament shut down, um, you know, started taxing, uh, you know, really increasing increasing the taxes on on uh, the the colony, and and so the you know the the li- the liberty the brothers of liberty the sons of liberty uh, threw a bunch of uh, T into the harbor in a very, it was a, they were very specific about the way that they did it actually. And it's not really talked about, but to the T, almost in, in, to an invoiced way, you know, when they broke a, a lock that they had to use to throw the, you know, to get to the T, they like replaced the lock the next day. And, um, you know, they were very careful not to hurt anyone or not to damage anything other than the very specific, you know, tariff, you know, sort of concept that they were, uh, or you know import tax that they were fighting against um, so it the, the this this really funny thing happened where then the you know the british parliamentary shut down the harbor and and there was this weird moment where the radicals and the loyalists were sort of united via tyranny and so there's kind of this funny power structure this sort of like triangle of you know Within a power structure, you have the people at the top. Um, and then you have the people, you generally at the very bottom that are the people opposed to the people at the top. And then you also have kind of the people in the middle that are you know, maybe a little more well-to-do and you know, they're, uh, they're happy with the way things are and they feel things are pretty equal and they feel pretty good. So they're kind of more on the, they're the loyalists here, right? So you have this sort of this trifecta, this dance, this trio happening. And, uh, for once, uh, in, in, in the Americas, that, uh, they were united, uh, be, you know, against this, this tyranny. And so, uh, you know, a bunch of delegates got together from the colonies in, in 74, and they wrote a letter saying, you know, to, to the, to the British Parliament saying, repeal these laws. And, uh, in, instead it, you know, it turned into an embargo, um, but regardless, when those delegates got together uh, to send King George this letter, uh, they decided very smartly uh, that no matter what, they were gonna reconvene six months, six months later. And that's a really important part of this governance is, uh, is a, you know scheduled and periodic uh, checking in. And maybe it was this arbitrary thing that they decided on, but I, again, Arbitrary decisions can have, you know, lasting echoes of effects, especially in social and government models. But they decided to come back together, and they did. And they reconvened six months later, and the, the war had started, and they wrote another letter and uh, sent it to King George, and he didn't even read it. Um, and uh, in this blockade of the 13 colonies, uh, it's sort of by default, they became self-governing. Uh, Even so much so that Rhode Island got so bold as to, you know, declare themselves a nation, Um, which is, you know, why they have that fancy title that they do. Um, And then in 1754, one of the, you know, a studier of philosophy and a a reader of John Locke and, you know, um, obviously one of our, you know, kind of glorified American heroes, uh, Benjamin Franklin wrote a plan for the Union, uh, in 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 54 and he had learned it uh, he sort of based it on um, uh, a lot of models that he had observed and just in his he was he was lucky enough to have lived in a very unique time where he was able to see you know these European unions and he kind of grew up there and and then came to the colonies and saw you know the way that governments was working at local levels and then he and then he also, also had exposure to sort of the Native American um, uh you know, confederacies that were going on there. And um, he kind of took them all together and he made them into this weird version uh, of, of an idea for a country. Um, but it was too centralized, they thought, and it was too focused on the federal side. And so the states didn't want it. And it was rejected by the first Continental Congress. Um, and then this kind of brings into like our second big our big hero of, of the hour, um, you know, of our founding fathers here. But this, this, this guy, John Dickinson, who was, he was a loyalist actually. Um, and, uh, he was kind of coined the penman of the revolution. And he wrote these, you know, famous letters from a Pennsylvania farmer. Um, and he didn't think that the States were ready yet, uh, to, if we declared war, um, to defend themselves and like what, you know, what really independence meant. You know, by declaring independence, you are also engaging now in a different, in a different set of natural law. Um, you're engaging in a much different way with, uh, with, you're opening yourselves up to other things by declaring yourselves independent. You know, this is this pro and con yin yang of liberty and freedom, and uh, equality and freedom. And uh, so he led a committee uh, and he took the name of, uh, from Benjamin Franklin's earlier, uh, you know, writings, which was the Articles of Confederation, kind of the first edition, um, and he uh, replaced sort of the the idea of like you know the hard the hard stanch kind of British Parliament model that Franklin had with with more of like a central legislation that had authority over states, but that that guarantees yeah so guarantees civil rights at a national level. Um, but grants, you know, all the other stuff, you know, general statehood, um, and the only things that it really looks at are, are uh, you know, civil rights, and then you know, foreign policy. Um, so that was the foreign policy, uh, you know, concept was was to be given to the Continental Congress. Um, but before they could vote on them, they declared independence, of course. Um, And everybody in Congress except him voted yes to go to war and not wanting to vote no and kind of staining, he just decided not to vote and he resigned from Congress. Um, And they they kind of rushed through a different uh, neutered version of the Articles of Confederation um, with no civil rights, no Bill of Rights, and no congressional power of states. Um, And so in... uh, from eighty-one to eighty-nine, that actually was our first national government. Government, um, so it did have Benjamin Franklin's kind of, you know, you know, wisdom and, and well-readness and learning from history and adapting to new models of governance. You know, the, the heart of it was somewhere in there, but it was really neutered by this sort of gung-ho volatility of uh, let's declare independence now, let's go fight. Um, but. Uh, <laughs> like any sort of uh, natural law, um, or any change in natural law, you know, uh, any new change of environment or context, you know, there were obviously consequences. And by the, uh, the summer of 77, uh, the Congress had basically printed their money into being worthless um, by trying to support this war that they weren't necessarily ready for or organized for, more importantly. Um so much so that the locals were actually selling their supplies and their food that they had grown to the British soldiers, since the Congress money that they were trying to, that they were printing to send to the, the soldiers were so useless um, that it actually turned into this you know this kind of very strange uh, scenario where where you know uh, General Washington was resorting to plundering from the countryside. And taking supplies and food, and and you know, giving IOUs, um, of course, uh, to to the people he was taking from. But you know, they, they they really felt that the war to win the war was was the most important thing, and you know that they had the ultimate right to the these people's you know resources to win the war for the betterment of everyone. Um, and you know, with all this money printing going on, by 1790, the Confederate dollar had lost. of its value, as all fiat does eventually. Um, So Benjamin Franklin had gone back to Europe and um, he was the ambassador to France. And due to a a mutual hatred of the British basically, uh, France decided to come. Um, And uh, actually when, when it came time to ratify the constitution in Maryland was like kind of holding out, France actually withheld resources from them until they did. So, again, there's, there's sort of a natural law going on, and then the social construct law going on, and the natural law of money and resources, and when you don't have them, you know, they can influence decisions in the, in the consensual uh, social law. Um, those, you know, those two worlds are connected and all and volatile always, but, you know, not one rules over the other. Um, so yeah, for, for, yeah, like five years or so, Congress just really struggled to fund the, the army and they totally went broke. And so they nominated this, this very wealthy merchant, uh, Robert Morris, uh, who was like a financier and had a big fleet, um, to be the superintendent of finance. And he didn't want to do it at all, actually. No one wanted to do it because um, no one wanted the role of the tax man. No one wanted to go and ask these states that were dealing with so much to say, hey, you need to pay us our taxes, or we can't, you know, win this war. Um, so he ended up being a really, a really kind of important figure in the founding of America. Um, he established the first national bank. He started the first, you know, or, or rather, a new currency that was that was backed with a bimetal standard of gold and silver. Uh, and he, you know, he tallied up all the debt and the IOU and the IOUs from the war, and he called on the debts. Um, and, 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 uh, you know, brought up this national tax on, on imported goods being that they had control over foreign policy. Um, you know, this was this idea that he had, um, saying that it was like a small fee to fund, you know, the Federation Congress, this new, this new Federation. Um, and he needed, uh, he needed everyone, he needed everyone's agreement to amend the Constitution. Which means that they needed a unanimous decision. So he convinced everybody, all 13 states except one, except Rhode Island, so 12. Um, and the reason being, you know, Rhode Island, as we just talked about, is being kind of a little more bold and, you know, declaring themselves a nation. Uh, part of the part of the redistribution of, of you know, well, why would we pay these rights? What are we going to get out of it to, to pay these taxes? What what are we, you know, what are we getting out of this? They 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 made a. a uh, you know, a pact that if to, because the maps were so crappy and the ability to, to kind of do borders was sort of shoddy and they said, well, okay, well, we'll just draw these lines here and then every state will extend out that's, uh, that has a Western border. will just extend all the way out and, you know, manifest destiny style and just, you know, and you can actually look, if you look at the the East Coast states, the ones that are on the border have these you know, these straight line chunks that go out, that go west. Um, you know, these perpendicular lines because that was sort of this, this, that was this idea. And uh, Rhode Island wanted nothing to do with it. So the, the smaller states, this is the first time we have this, this analogy to the, the block size war, right? Uh, Rhode Island was like, no, we're not gonna do it. And then Virginia ended up pulling out two uh, and then again, we're in this situation where, okay, well, we needed super, ma- super, super majority unanimous decision um, in order to ch- amend the Constitution. And uh, that didn't happen. And so the state stopped paying again. Um, and then Morris found himself writing personal checks um, to fund the army uh, and using his fleet, uh, his merchant fleet as a, as a, as a military um, mechanism. And, and using uh, his his connections as a, as a merchant, as a world trader uh, for information. And uh, one of the most important reasons why we won, uh, because of what he did. Um, and uh, he forced the British to surrender at Yorktown, you know, by paying out of pocket, basically. And that's where we captured 8,000 soldiers. And that was where the, you know, the war kind of came came to, uh, that was sort of the climax of the war in terms of a battle, in, in terms of, the tides of the resources had changed and now we had such a huge amount of their forces um, that they sort of had to respond in a de-escalatory fashion. Um, so he, uh, he he had been writing IOUs to the army to pay for them, um, you know, personal checks and then and then eventually they ran out of money and then it was just IOUs. And so a lot of the... the uh, uh, like GIs, like the general, you know, general infantry or whatever, uh, they all, you know, they, they they knew that they had to fight, so they did. Um, but but then they, a lot of them wanted to get into government because they had seen what they had, A, you know, for two reasons. One, what they had fought for uh, was something that they really did truly believe in. It was a revolution. It was a very popular revolution in a lot of ways. And so they believed in what they were fighting for. But then also, B, you know, to preserve the things that they had sacrificed so much for and the ways that they were mistreated in doing it. So they were sort of sick of, you know, they're like, well, you know, who are these people that are making these decisions not to pay us um, and we're gonna run for government. So uh, later on Morris found, you know, a bunch of allies that kind of came out of, you know, these, these, young, these young men that had fought in war. Um, and that's another really interesting part about our forefathers is uh they were a really interesting demographic um they had all like almost i want to say almost 50 percent of the um of the of the men in the the that signed the constitution had gone to war and like almost just as many were college educated which was exceptionally rare for the time um less so the war part but definitely the 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 college education part i mean i think it was i mean it was certainly sub 0.1% of the population went to college, um, if not like 0.01%. Um, and here we have a, a collection of well-educated, but also well, you know, well-experienced and, and, and in, in violence and in war at a, you know, in a, in a, not in an era necessarily where, you know, you can sort of hide behind computer screens and, and not actually experience the horrors of it. Although, of course, that is very horrible. but a Very visceral and real experience. These people had, you know, literally experienced war, um, and were college educated, and were reading the, you know, the histories and 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 learning from these philosophers. And they had these very wise um, leaders um, that were well written and well read. Um, so Morris found Robert Morris found new allies like Alexander Hamilton, who was one of the heroes of Yorktown. Um, and uh, they united to bring back this idea of the of the national tax amendment, um, and the public's response was disband mm, the army. then, um, and uh, so they stopped paying the army. Uh, they demanded pay from Congress, or they threatened a coup. And it was kind of one of our first, uh, you know, well written, talked about kind of you know, inter, inter-battle conspiracies um, that obviously America's infamous for. Um, but yeah, there was a conspiracy that, um, you know, the, the, the Congress wouldn't pay, and uh, so they were going to, um, you know, do a coup d'etat. And uh, so Hamilton wrote to George Washington, who had very specifically... Retired because he didn't want his fame um, to be uh, in in any in any way, uh, you know, an aggregate of power. He didn't want to become corruptible. He actively didn't want to, you know, any any sort of more power than he thought he deserved. That's how wise these people were. In in these moments, um, they were rejecting those sort of gatherings of power, knowing that it was at a very powerful moment because it came. From a place of wanting freedom, it came from a place of not having it, and so they simply wanted, you know, peace and and and, and to be retired, right? So, you know, very famously, uh, Washington, you know, very old and beaten down, um, you know, comes comes back and on the Ides of March, which was which was uh, last week, which is one of the reasons why I'm doing this. Uh, In in 83, 1783, he read this letter from Congress and uh, he got up in front of everybody, just sort of all weepy eyed and tired and everyone could see how much the war had really, truly taken from him. Um, He was uh, he was the people's general. I mean, he was there with them. He was, um, you know, in the in the, uh, you know, at the front of the lines and in the forts with them. And and he felt and, and dealt with all and all what they dealt with so they say. And um, so we, you know, kind of broken down, starts to read this letter, you know, from Congress, you know, to sort of address this mutiny. And uh, they all decide that they see what he's he's sacrificed and what he's done. And they all decide to pledge their loyalty to both the army and to Congress, but, but more so to America, and this ideal of America. Um, and to fight without pay and know that, you know, what we're fighting for is going to be pay enough when the war is over um, they won at Yorktown the war is winding down an, an interesting moment in uh, distributed ledger technology a copy of the treaty that was, you know, written up in France comes to the states a good example of uh, Byzantine uh, fault tolerance they needed nine states to ratify it But only seven of them showed up, so they did the you know again another another good example of periodic update um, and check in. Uh, One month later, they reconvened again uh, with just enough this time to ratify it. Um, So then this is you know when Washington you know really retired, resigned from general, um, hid you know went out tried to get out of the limelight, rejecting this aggregate of power and uh, uh, telling them that, you know, okay, you're gonna pay these soldiers with the land from the West. This is, you know, draw the lines out. Um, And they sold the land in the West to the soldiers to pay off the debt um, of the war. You know, so they gave it to soldiers to pay them and then also sold the land to pay off the debt. Um, And, you know, they kind of came up with this, the game of states sort of idea, and when a, you know, when a state reached 200,000 people, um, they became states. Um, so of course the state started doing a bunch of lunacy because that's what happens when, you know, we, we get to these moments of, uh, you know, the yin meeting the yang of, of, of freedom and, and equality. And, uh, they started printing their own money despite it being, you know, against the confederation. And, uh, the uh, the again you know kind of getting into this this lawlessness and this this broken um, you know this, this this ideal of America was sort of you know no longer apparent um, and so Alexander Hamilton wanted to do something new and so in 1786 they he got together a small convention um, of states to talk about trade only five of them showed up. But uh, he convinced them that they needed a, sort of a central authority, like uh, Congress, um, in order to sort of, you know, not, you know, have these issues that they were dealing with, um, with like British soldiers that, you know, even after the war, you know, America said, okay, well, part of the treaty is we'll like, leave your, you know, your Brits alone um, in America. And we weren't really doing that. We were like, you know, just just walking all up and down, you know, the treaty and just the states were just kind of, you know, having a ball. So, you know, there were like British, um, uh, like forts and, and, um, yeah, it was just, it was everything out in in the West was just wild. Um, so, you know, Hamilton brought these people together, um, and he, and he called on George Washington again, um, because he was having a hard time getting people to come because he couldn't get enough observation. He couldn't get enough focus on this, this idea. So he asked George Washington to come out of retirement, um, to you know, help them. Um, so we got uh, Madison and and Benjamin Franklin and Washington and kind of formed this founding fathers sort of uh, you know Avengers sort of scenario here. And uh, Madison, you know, being this kind of brilliant writer, persuaded Washington to come back and to push for a constitution. Him and him and Madison, Hamilton and Madison were like really big philosophy and history readers. Um, and so, they wrote a scathing review of the Articles of Confederation. Um, and, uh, you know, they got, they got backing, not just, you know, so they got their kind of social backing um, using, using Washington and Franklin. And then, they also had, you know, these government bondholders, these people that they had, you know, helped, helped them win the war when it was kind of being financed. And, uh, you know, those people had a lot of power and they wanted to push for this because without, you know, this central authority, they wouldn't be able to get paid for the war. They wouldn't get their money back um, without a tax. So he wrote the Virginia Plan uh, to replace the Constitution um, and, you know, got Washington's endorsement. Um, And they were sort of... uh, The Virginia Plan was the... They were sort of the big block... Uh, side of the debate here, um, and that they were the big states. And what that means is they were the the states with the biggest populations, like New York and Virginia. And and so they wanted representational, proportional democracy based on how many people that they had in their state, Um, which seems, you know, that seems fair, right? That's like, okay, that makes sense. But then, you know, we had William Pattinson of Jersey, (laughs) New Jersey, and they had this sort of small states plan, and he was like, that's not fair. You know, we're just gonna get eaten up by our neighbors here, um, that are much bigger than us and we're gonna have no say. And um, you know, we're these port cities like Rhode Island and, and or ports, port colonies like New Jersey and Rhode Island and, and we're worried about, you know, tariffs really affecting our, our game and, and uh, you know import tax really affecting our game. So we're gonna we're not gonna vote for it. We need to ensure that we have equal representation at the state level. Um uh, at the time there was about four million people in the states. So here we go. we got Connecticut's Roger Sherman coming out with the Great Compromise, and, and, and which was to split up, you know, the uh, legislative branch into uh, Congress uh, into the Senate. So the Congress, you know, the house is, is proportional to the state population, uh, whereas the Senate is fixed, and it's two, two members to the state. Um, you know, the house so the House theoretically makes the Virginia Plan people happy, right? And then the Senate makes like the New Jersey small state people happy. Um and that was a that was this compromise of, of governance, um, and of mathematical governance. Um and then in you know May May late May of uh 87, uh the delegates all met, they Decided on it. They liked it. They chose George Washington to lead the Constitutional Convention. And then um, Madison and Hamilton, again, being these, you know, kind of next generation having gone through the war but very well educated and very well read. They led debates for three months and they ripped all those papers up and they created the U.S. Constitution out of it. Um, there's a, uh, a great letter in the, in the Federalist Papers, the, the second version, um, James Madison's, where he wrote, the powers delegated by the proposed constitution to the federal government are few and defined. Those which are to remain in the state governments are numerous and indefinite. And that is exactly the yin and yang. So the, the, the wisdom and the knowledge to understand that there is a paradoxical meeting of systems when you are trying to define equality and, and trying to find governance. And at the grander level, at the greater national level, uh, the the few proposals need to be small, few, as, as we like to say, and defined and really, you know, there. And that's what the national government is supposed to be there for. And then those are the things that we all wanna decide for ourselves, um, kind of more affecting, you know, how we interact in our day-to-day stuff and what we do, you know, within our state, um, are are up to us, you know, represent, you know, representationally to um, to define for ourselves. But no one outside of our state can tell us sort of what to do in our state outside of you know these these national laws, which, as we are supposed to be few and defined, right? Um. So, <laughs> what does that have to do with? Where we are now and with and with Bitcoin and how can we learn from this is like we are coming to um, a a point of of uh, tons of decisions to be made on personal levels and on group mass levels Um, and for the first time ever in the history of an establishing of a new government. um, This is this is a global issue now. we are all interconnected in such a way. We've we've built our society up in such a way that um, we're all so reliant on each other. Um, and there are countries now. Um, I mean, a big thing at the start of the pandemic, there was a lot of fear of the U.S. government not, you know, like the dollar crashing because we feed like 140 million people a day um, that are reliant on us to feed them, and if we you know, have a huge economic financial crash, you know, the people outside of our borders, hypothetically would be the first people not taken care of. Um, but we've we sort of found ourselves, you know, through these decisions into this place where our, our, our systems, are, our means of production and our resources are, are controlled and our finances are, are manipulated by um, these people that aren't even necessarily elected officials. And then even those that are, um, people that are using, um, you know, systems of—I uh, don't want to say manipulation, but perhaps manipulation—but of, of social, you know, encouragement um, to uh, to remain in power. Um, again, you know, we are physical objects, and those at power are, you know, are going to remain at power unless there's real call for it and real action and real push. Um, and right now, we're 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 seeing volatility at a humongous global stage. And now is the time to have these conversations, um, because now is the time to actually utilize the volatility um, and for positive things. Um, volatility is is scary, I suppose, um, as if we've grown up most of our lives being, um, you know, in units of rest, and that's why I don't get upset when. People that are older than me or, or yeah, generations older than me don't get this revolution that's happening right now because they, have, they are products of their time. Um, and they've been taught and they've been told to um, continue on in the status quo and that they will be taken care of and they'll be provided and that their pensions and their social securities will be paid out. But we know that that's not going to happen. And we know that that's certainly not going to happen for us. Um, and so we're forced to, to set out west, right? And we're forced to go find a, a, a world of our own. And um, because the world of the past is not going to provide for us in the future. Um, but we need to make sure that you know we set ourselves up um, for the greatest opportunity for equality and for freedom. Um, and those are really delicate things because as we said, All we know is what isn't freedom and what isn't equality. It's much harder to define what is. And I don't think that there is a definition for it. Um, I think it's always going to change based on our interaction and our relationship with resources and to energy and to our world. And for the first time in my life, uh, or maybe the second time if you count the internet, but I kind of see these as almost the same expression um, but Bitcoin is, is, is fundamentally changing the way we interact with energy, and therefore is, is fundamentally changing the way we interact with time and space, as I said in, in the last episode. Um, so it's it's time to um, express that volatility over our governance models. And I think that there's so much to learn from in the history of, the, of, of our country, and then also in, in Bitcoin with, you know, the user-activated soft fork and... Um, you know these these big block debates and and, and even what's happening now with with lot and, and, and taproot and um, these 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 this the state this this federal versus state uh, national versus state conversation this yin and yang I think is is so perfect um, for how we look at the layer one and the main chain versus side chains and and versus, uh, you know, protocols that we can stack on top of Bitcoin, because those are are coming. Um, Those aren't just coming, those are here. Those are here now. Um, You might be listening to this on Sphinx right now. You might be streaming me Satoshis while I say this to you. The future is here, it's now. And it's built on a strong fundamental that no one that has a node that's operating right now, a Bitcoin node, Ever has to change anything about their Bitcoin node. It will always work. It is working, right? That's the beauty of it. It's backwards compatible. You set something up, and it 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 goes, and it goes, and it goes, and and that is a part of the um, the yin yang conversation of you know, in the state and the national conversation of uh, you know how do we uh, how do we keep the baseline so secure and beautiful and immutable and and uh, you know, sound and and fungible and all and all the things that we love Bitcoin for, while also allowing for innovation and for personal decision and expression and risk tolerance on top. Like how you know we we're we're more than welcome to do whatever we want with our UTXOs. In any way we wanna we wanna open up lightning channels. We wanna go on liquid. We wanna, you know, we wanna put our put our our coins in a and hopefully a self-custody yield generating thing, however that works in a deflationary currency, I don't know. But we have the right to do that um, because we have the freedom to do that. But we also, you know, we, we, we know the pros and cons of dealing with, you know, these kind of more experimental things. But the choice is, is, that, it, is that it is a choice. That's the thing. Um, and so you can just putz along on your your old node and just let it keep going and and completely operate and be a a full functioning member. And that's totally fine. And that's great because so many of the reasons why Bitcoin is important has nothing to do with what's going on on top. Um, Bitcoin is an incredibly important discovery and invention or destruction as we said before because it's really destroying things more than it is creating things. Um, without it, it is it is all of those things without lightning and, and, and without Sphinx and without you know. But with that on there, it's even more expressive and, and there's an extrapolation, an exponential extrapolation on top of, of of effect. We talked about pertinent scalability and and you there's there's no point in, in scaling anything that doesn't have all of that soundness. Um, and so it's really important to learn when we look at you know what are governance models that have worked? We know fiat has always failed, and and we're we're this is no different. And the, the, those the few of us that have noticed that are are part of this revolution at the forefront. Um, and I don't mean that in an egotistical way. I just mean we're at the forefront of the volatility of this wave that's happening. This this state of change. Um, all of those all 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 of those things are are uh, are so important to think about and, and to consider um because you know we we have we have an opportunity to protect the 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 protocol and protect the first chain while also you know blasting innovation and and, and moving west and you know sort of this 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 idea of, of like you know going at cyberspace and sort of the uh interconnectivity that we've now found with bitcoin and with the internet um it's our duty now to uh, to explore the liberty and and uh, and express the equality that, that we've gained with this protocol. That um, that th- that's the point of, of why these things happen. There's no there's no there's no accident that the genesis block says what it does. Um, you know you could say you know that there's if it's a money issue, it's it's a human issue. Um, it's a, if it's a value issue, it's, if it's a capital issue, if it's an energy issue, all of these things. If it's a governance issue, all of these things that Bitcoin is um, is is part of the evolution of, of of rhetoric and of what it means to be human. And we might literally one day come to a place where we no longer utilize almost any expression of of, of biology and of flesh, but our our ideas and our rhetoric is what is our lasting legacy to the universe. And that is probably a lot closer than we think. Um, I mean, I think we gotta, certainly not in our lifetime are we gonna see 100% cyborgs or whatever. But this idea of singularity is, is much, much, much closer than we think. And we are at a, a really important moment where we can make decisions that are going to affect you know, the deflationary world, and um, this is much bigger than just, uh, it's as, it is both much bigger and also what could be bigger than, uh, than a, a value revolution. Um, you know, there's some, I've heard this, this phrase a few times, but the internet sort of gave us this culture of abundance, um, and we've been exploring this everything is free now world um, for a long time now. Um, and with Bitcoin, uh, we re-realized and rediscovered the importance of scarcity um, and the yin and yang of abundance and scarcity. Um, so here we are again, um, at, at a, looking out into the void, uh, standing between um, the meeting of, of scarcity and abundance, of, of, of freedom and of equality, of uh, big states and little states, of big blocks and small blocks. Um, I'm not saying that I have an answer, I'm saying that we need to understand and learn from our previous dispositions and disagreements, um, because we've always just learned what didn't work. Um, we are learning now that where we are now is not working. So rather than, uh, you know, make this a bloody conflict, let's let's come together as humans um, and, and handle this with, with class of dignity and understanding um, that this is just another echo of, uh, you know, this great, the great polarity and the great yin and yang, um, you know, coming to fruition. Good luck out there.